0: All right, happy Sabbath, church. Good to see you one and all here again. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Haggai, and you might say, well, pastor, we're getting a late start. It may take me a little while to find Haggai. I'll I'll give you a a hint. (laughs) Start at Matthew and go back, right? You'll go through Malachi and then Zechariah, and then you'll find Haggai. Haggai and Zechariah are contemporaries. They spoke at the same time to the same people. Uh, By the way, just FYI, you'll be seeing some of the uh, Battle Creek Academy. uh, Well, there's Shadrach Grants. He's not a student anymore. He teaches there now, but some of the students coming out, as they're going to help me with something here in just a moment. But let me give you a little more information about Haggai before we get into this next part. About 500 years before Christ, Haggai would write his message to the repatriated Jews, that is those that came out of Babylon, went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. About 50,000 of them. Now there may have been as many, some estimates are there was many as a million in Babylon. Only 50,000 came back, so that's interesting. They had begun to rebuild, but all of a sudden, nothing. Complete stop in the building for 16 years. There had been no work done at all. So Haggai writes to encourage and challenge them to once again start the building. His efforts were wildly successful in 20, from from when he first started speaking, 23 days later, they started working. After 16 years of doing nothing, I would say that is a Major, major success. So today we're going to do a survey of the book of Haggai. Uh, I have one sermon, and so um, gotta see what I can get in in that time period. But I have three major points, and they are these: we're going to look at sovereign ruler, superlative response, and signet ring. So those will be the three that we'll look at. Let us pray, and then. Um, We'll get into this in just a moment here. Father God, we thank you for your holy prophets and for what they brought to their time, for what they bring to our time, and for their message for all of time and eternity. Speak, Lord, today for your servants listen, and may we be encouraged as the remnant as we... Also need to rebuild, in a sense. And we'll look at that today. So send your spirit, may your word come alive. You promise that as the snow and the rain fall and do not return to heaven, but give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall your word be that goes forth from your mouth. Hide the preacher behind the cross today and may your word please you as it goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. So three points, sovereign ruler is the first one. 90 times, over 90 times in this book and Haggai and Malachi and just those three books, there's this phrase, sovereign ruler, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, God Almighty, depending on what your translation is. Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, whose name was revealed to Moses as... Four Hebrew consonants, that's all they had. And there you see them. It was called the Tetragrammaton. We still don't really know the vowels. We guess at what they might be. That's how we come across Yahweh. But even that is a bit of a guess. This divine name, especially 600 uh, BC, became so holy that they didn't even want to say it. It means sovereign ruler, of the universe, the one who made everything that has been made, the sole creator and sustainer of absolutely everything. Now, add to that Sabaoth. Now, this isn't Sabbath, it's Sabaoth. The Hebrew word, a good translation of it, is Almighty. It means an innumerable company, a host. That's why the King James says "Lord of hosts." Well, host of what? Well, it could be a host of powerful soldiers, could be a host of angels, could be the stars of the heaven. Right? They're, they're called a host. God is over all of this. Right? It's uh, these are all His, or the whole of creation. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. Nothing formed against me shall stand. You hold the whole world in your hands. You are Yahweh Sabaoth.
1: Darkness fills the night. It cannot hide the light. Whom should... i know who stands behind the god of angel armies is always by my side the one who reigns forever he is a friend of mine the god of angel armies is always by my side my strength is in your name for you alone can save, you will deliver me, yours is the victory, whom shall I fear, in whom shall I fear? armies is always by my side the one who reigns forever he is a friend of mine the God of angel armies is always by my side nothing formed against me shall stand you hold the whole world in your The whole world in your hands. I'm holding on to your promises. You are faithful. You are faithful. You are faithful. God of angel armies is always by my side.
0: Thank you, Battle Creek Academy. Were you blessed by that? Yeah. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> that song fits so well. As I was looking at this book, um, I thought, I've just got to see if they'll do it. Not actually realizing at the time, that is their theme song for this year. So it was a little easier for them to, uh, to get it done since I didn't tell them until Wednesday uh, to my chagrin. <laughs> so uh, good job. Good job, folks. Appreciate it very much. Well, we're going to... Haggai's just two chapters, and they're not even very long chapters. So we're going to do something a little different today. We did not have a scripture reading. I want you all to stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, this is about a five-minute reading of God's Word. So if you can't stand for five minutes, maybe you just want to sit, or you can sit at any point. But um, God's Word is certainly worth our standing And I'm going to read to you the book of Haggai. That sounds voluminous, right? But like I say, only two chapters. One of them is quite short. And I have the New International Version, so that's what I'll be reading from. And after the first identification of Zerubbabel and Joshua as the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, Joshua the son of Josadak, high priest, I've truncated that part because once you've identified them, you know who they are. And so as we read, they're identified as that probably eight times here, but you only hear it at the beginning and the end. I'm going to do another thing a little bit different. When it comes to Lord Almighty or the Lord of hosts, I'm going to use the Hebrew Yahweh Sabaoth. So just so you have an idea where we're going with all this. And here we go in chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty, this is what Yahweh Sabaoth says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what Yahweh Sabaoth says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but you never Have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a bag with holes in it. This is what Yahweh Sabaoth says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much but see it turned out to be little what you brought home I whoosh, I blew it away why declares Yahweh Sabaoth because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house therefore because of you the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. And then the superlative response, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message Of the prophet Haggai and the Lord, that the Lord their God had sent them. Or because the Lord their God had sent him, that is Haggai. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the people. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they began to work on the house of Yahweh Sabaoth, their God. The 24th day of the sixth month. As I said, just 23 days later, after 16 years of doing nothing, chapter 2. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel to Joshua and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory as Solomon's temple? How does it look to you now? Does it seem like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you. You, declares Yahweh Sabaoth. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear this is what Yahweh Sabaoth says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations, capital D in most Bibles, will come. And fill this house with glory, says Yahweh Sabaoth. The silver and the gold are mine, declares Yahweh Sabaoth. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says Yahweh Sabaoth. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares Yahweh Sabaoth. Finishing up on the 24th, day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I have a question for the priests. Ask them what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread, stew, wine, olive oil, or other food, does that other food become consecrated? The priest said, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? The priest replied, yes, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with the people and this nation in my sights, declares the Lord, whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled Verse 15. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid upon another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went out to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail and you've got to hear the pathos in his voice here. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Verse 19, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have borne no no fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day, on the ninth month again. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares Yahweh Sabaoth, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares Yahweh Sabaoth. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, this God we serve is no small God. Amen? A number of years ago, J.B. Phillips, scholar who wrote a New Testament paraphrase, you might have seen that, also wrote a book called Your God Is too small. His main point was that many people's ideas of God were woefully deficient. Some saw God as a parental hangover, a celestial policeman, or some sort of a divine Santa Claus. But as we look at God with this title, Yahweh Sabaoth, we must take off our shoes because we stand on holy ground. The book should calm our spirits and lift us up way above our problems and concerns. He says in Isaiah 40 that all the nations, and we just looked at this in our Sabbath school lesson, right, last time. All the nations are as a drop in the what? In the bucket, right? All the nations are as nothing compared to him. He's so big and so strong and so loving and so all-knowing. Should we really be worried? We really shouldn't, should we? We shouldn't be worried about what our government is doing, what our governor is doing. We, we wring our hands much, don't we? I mean, we really do. Like, what is she gonna do next? Or what is the ex-president, what is he gonna do? I mean, he's still out there too. I mean, you know, maybe we should be worried about that. You know, we have the Lord Almighty as our God, amen? We have nothing to fear. God is bigger than all of that, way bigger. And the rebuilding of the temple is a perfect illustration of his bigness. Let me give you a couple of examples here. He cannot be held down by our small ideas of who he is or how he works or what he can do. And let's look at that in the context of the rebuilding of the temple. First of all, God says, I can make it so the most godless rulers in the world will help me build my temple. It's exactly what he did. I can use Cyrus, who I called by name 150 years before he was born, by the way, to take over the invincible Babylon. Babylon was impregnable. There was no way to take that place, but there was when God said there was. And I can make Cyrus make a decree that the Jews who wished to would be able to return to build their Jewish temple, which meant absolutely nothing to Cyrus. Think about what he's doing here. He's not using believers. More than that, he would decree that cedar wood from Lebanon, the best possible material, right? The best possible wood would be taken to Jerusalem and used in the rebuilding. More than that, the labor force for the transportation of the cedar would come from the inhabitants of Tyre and Sidon, generally arch enemies of Israel. Then they're going to bring it over to you. Not only that, the expense for the transport would be borne by their godless government. And oh, those 5,000 gold and silver vessels that were taken by Babylon and now were in the hands of Persia. It's just worth a fortune, but easy come, easy go. We'll just let you have those back. <laughs> really? Only God can do something like that. Amen. And that's exactly what he did. Now why did Cyrus do this? We don't have time to turn and look at it later. Ezra 1:1. This is why Cyrus did these things. It says there in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of God predicted by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart." Of the king of Persia. Amen? God has the rulers of this earth, their hearts are in his hands, scriptures tell us. Amen? We have nothing to fear. God is bigger than any problem in your personal life, bigger than any national problem. He's bigger than all of it. One last thing, oh, and nine years later, after the rebuilding, Cyrus is now off the scene. He's died in battle. And Darius has taken over, and there's more local opposition to the rebuilding. And the local opposition says, You know, we're not sure that Cyrus really ever made that decree. Would you check into that, Darius, and please let us know if that ever even happened? Because if it didn't, we're going to shut this thing down right now. Well, Darius checks into it, finds out it's legit, and then he does three things. Here's what he does he confirms the decree, first of all. Secondly, He said that no one was to interfere with the rebuilding. Thirdly, he says that a huge chunk of the expenses were to be paid by the IRS. Come on and say amen. Amen. You can move the IRS, you can move anybody. (laughs) History is not in the hands of any nation, amen? We got to get this straight. If anybody should be concerned, it should be the nations and the rulers about the church instead of the church worrying about the nations and the rulers. Amen. Who's got God on their side here, by the way? (laughs) We do. The Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. That sounds like an offensive move to me. Come on and say amen. Ah, Haggai, we're going to continue a little survey of this book right now, we've looked at Sovereign Ruler. We're going to look at the superlative response and then Signet Ring as we continue on. And this is an amazing book. We could certainly, I could certainly spend a lot more time in it. But you saw how it started. The people said, well, you know, it's not really time to do anything yet. Well, God had told them <laughs> 16 years before and before that that it was time. But enemies came in, lots of things happened, and they said it wasn't time. And God corrected them and said that it was time. But in thinking of them saying it wasn't time, I think we have to all ask ourselves the question, what keeps us back? What keeps us back from doing what is honorable and pleasing in the sight of God? Is there something that you know that is, but you're somehow kept back from it? Ah, friend, now is the time. It is from fear. Is it from fear that you will not succeed? Fear what your friends may think if you just went all out for Jesus? What is it that keeps you back from doing what is honorable in God's sight? Well, in verse 3. God asks the returning remnant a question. In essence, he says, is it right for you to live in luxurious homes while this house remains a ruin? Is it right for you to be spending your time, your best thoughts on your own things and not on the things of God? And do you really think God can bless that? Uh, you're seeing that that's not working well <laughs> in their context, right? They, everything they did, and all, they were earning more, but it was like, where did that money go? It just went right through. It's like I got a hole in my pocket. And so God said, yes, put me first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what will happen? All these things will be added unto you. Because this house remains in a ruin in their day, this second building house, while the people were all building their own houses, God could not bless as he would like to have blessed. And I love that one verse where it talks about pleasing in God's sight. Actually, it's in verse 8 so that I may take pleasure and be honored. And I thought about that. I mean, if at the end of your life, God could say of you, you know, I was pleased with what that person did. I was pleased with what he did. I was pleased with what she did. I was honored by what they did. Wouldn't that be enough? I mean, that would be enough for me. (laughs) If I hear that, uh, I think that would be enough. And that's what God was asking for. Unfortunately, they were kind of pleasing themselves, right? They were after their own pleasure. And isn't the Sabbath a great sign of that unselfish, pleasing God and not us, right? Remember Isaiah 58, where it says, if you put not your foot on the Sabbath, let me read it for you. From breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight in the Lord's holy day and honorable, if you honor it, not by going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and it will cause you to ride on high places and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. And so that is what God wants us to do, to please him and with all he's done, how can we do any less? Well, verse 12 gives us the superlative response to this call. And it indeed is an amazing response. They obeyed, right? It says they obeyed. It's to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the whole remnant, the people believed and reverenced, or they feared and obeyed the Lord their God. It says they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of Haggai. Because the Lord their God had sent him. So that word because gives us a little clue as to why this superlative, why this great, awesome response. Because gives us a key, and it is because they knew and believed two things. First of all, that the Lord was not just God, but he was their God. And secondly, that the Lord their God had sent. Haggai with the message. And so the superlative response, the whole remnant believed and feared and they did something else. They got to work, right? Their faith worked. As I said, after 16 years of inactivity, just like that, 23 days and they're they're back at it. Amazing superlative response. Verse 14 tells us that it is God that stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, Joshua, and of the whole remnant. Do you feel God stirring up your spirit to worship him, to work for him, to love him more, to respond more fully? Of course, it's in Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the lord of hosts god stirred up the people and then he asked an interesting question he's like how many of you were here when the first temple when solomon's temple was around by the way it perished 66 years before so they would have had to been older timers to have seen and been a part of that how many of you were here when the first temple he asks and how do you feel about this temple in comparison to that temple? Does it seem like nothing? And then God gives some more encouragement. This is encouragement for the remnant. By the way, this is setting us up for my series on Zechariah, which will come a little later in the year. And when you get to Zechariah, you're going to say, I didn't see that in Haggai. <laughs> you're going to be right because there, it's, it really... Um, drills down and kind of uh, gives us deeper meaning on it. But this temple, God gives more encouragement. He tells Joshua, Zerubbabel, and all the people to be strong, that he is with them, and he is Yahweh Sabaoth. He's the covenant-keeping God. Look at his track record. It's perfect. Look what he did with Egypt, the Bible says. He led them out. Then it goes on and talks about the shaking of the nations, shaking both heaven and earth, sea and the dry land. And then it says that the desire of nations. And if you still have your Bibles open, see if that D and desire is capitalized in your Bible. In a lot of Bibles it is because many people saw this as messianic. Not all scholars do, but most do. Many do. The earliest ones did. And so there would be a shaking coming, the shaking of all nations, heaven and earth. Then the desire of nations, Jesus would come. Amen? That coming that we long for. But could it be, could it be that what we're seeing on this earth now is the beginning of that shaking of heaven and earth? I wonder. One thing I know is if God is doing the shaking no human plan is going to be able to thwart it. Amen? I no don't care how many electric cars you drive. And I love, I, I'll tell you my Elon uh, uh, Musk story sometime. I, uh, <laughs> Phyllis, I told it to prayer me. All right, I'll just tell it real quick here. So I was in, I, I'm in um, Silicon Valley in Santa Clara. They have a dealership there. Now their dealerships aren't like a bunch of cars in a lot. Their dealerships are like a couple cars in like a showroom. It's crazy. And anyway, me and Lexi were in there. We walked down and get some ice cream or whatever we did. And we came back. When we came back, there was a bunch of people partying in there. And there was only one Caucasian guy in the room. Everybody else was Asian. And it was Elon Musk. And he came to the door of the showroom because I was going to go back in. And so I was, but then I'm looking and I'm like, "This this is not what I was expecting. So anyway, he came and opened the door for me and went like this. So the richest man in the world, well, he's not, uh, he, it, it varies. He is sometimes, sometimes not. <clears throat> but anyway, open the door for me, and I said no. <laughs> um, so anyway, interesting story. But uh, where was I going with that? Anybody <laughs> re- remind me where I was at? Um, anyway, could it be that what's happening now in our world is the shaking of the nations? I I wonder. I wonder. Nobody's going to be able to stop it. Uh, No environmental uh, activities are going to be able to stop it if God is the one doing it. Just keep that in mind. Indeed, in the days just before Christ's coming, the years just before his coming, the whole earth will be lightened with the glory of that fourth angel, right? He says, this temple will be greater. Well, that temple was greater also, right? Because who walked the precincts of that second temple? Jesus did, right? It was still around in his time. But I wonder if there's an even further fulfillment of that with the glory of that fourth angel, the latter cry, the latter rain, and the loud cry soon to fall in its power upon this earth. Last point, we look at the signet ring. And that's in the last part of the last chapter. What a great, great illustration. God is so good uh, to give us these different looks at how much he loves us, how precious we are, uh, how much he cares for us. And so we'll do that before we close. He says, God did not, what he, here's what he did not say. He did not say, I will give you a ring, a signet ring. Now, this is not a wedding ring. This is a signet ring where you stamp documents to show what your pleasure is on various decisions, right? It's the signet. He didn't say, I will give it to you. He didn't say, I will make you a signet ring. But he says, I will make you my signet ring. There's a closeness there. When someone had a signet ring, this thing was precious, right? And they either had it on their finger all the time or they had it in their sight. You are God's signet ring, amen? You are so precious to him. He has you in his sight all the time, amen? That's why the psalmist said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You know what mindful means? It means his mind is full of you. He thinks of you all the time. God loves you that much. You are his signet ring. Well, it was the official ring of God, and it was used to stamp things. How precious are you to God? Isaiah says this that you are precious and you are loved. In Isaiah 43, he says this, God promised that he would give Egypt as our ransom, Cush and Seba in our stead. And then he says in verse four, since you are precious and honored in my sight, because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. You're so precious to God today. You are that signet ring. Now you, you might be saying, wait a minute, Zerubbabel was the ring. He is. And Zerubbabel was a type of Christ. And in Christ, you are that. Today, you and I are like that signet ring to God, precious, honored, and loved. Oh, and he also says in Psalms 49, I have engraved you. Where? Upon the palms of my hands. It's possible that a mother could forget the child that she is nursing, highly improbable, but it's possible, and that she would not have compassion on the child she has born, but it's not possible with God that he will forget you. Amen. You're so precious to him. You are that signet ring in Christ. See, I have engraved you upon the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Like the signet ring, we are precious Like the signet ring, God will be with us and not forget us. His mind is full of you. You're always on his thoughts. You're precious to him, precious. Even in your darkest moment, God is calling you to him and out of darkness into his marvelous light. Think of John Newton, the swearing, slave-trading sailor that came face-to-face with the cross, right? And he's like, wait, I'm precious? God didn't wait for him to stop being that before he was precious to him, amen? Now, he, he he wasn't loving what he was doing, but he loved him and he thought he was precious then. And when it hit him that he was precious, It changed his life. He wrote this, An evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood Never till my last day can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sin his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I died that thou mayest live. Thus, while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon too. You're precious to God today. How precious? Alas, and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? And the answer is yes. (laughs) Yes, he would. Yes, he did. He loves you so much. Last text before we close. The New Testament, the disciples, you know, they've been sent out, they're just rocking, man. Devils are fleeing, and whoa, look at us, go. And they say that to Jesus, and he says, (laughs) He says, That's all good, but there's something that they should be even more rejoicing in. And that is that their names are written in heaven. Amen. Your name is written in heaven, you are precious. And our God in heaven is Yahweh Sabaoth, the one who is above everything, and yet he loves you individually. His love for you individually can't be equaled. It's it's like, think about as inheritance, right? When you, if we die, we give an inheritance and it goes to several different people and it's split up, not with God. When God gives inheritance, he gives it all to everyone, Amen. And that's what God is giving to us. You are his signet ring. Well, lastly, that signet ring was used to stamp things, right? With the desire of the king. God says you're his signet ring, right? So he wants to use you as his stamp of his character on this world before the universe. Amen? What a privilege to be ambassadors for God in these last days. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our our little travel through the book of Haggai. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, in the light of such love, how can we turn away from doing your best and doing it first and last and always? Thank you, Lord, for the blood that was spilt that proves our preciousness. Jesus, you risked everything. You risked your life. And if you were not around, you, by, all, by you all things consist. So the whole universe was at risk for each one of us. Thank you so much for your love. May we go from this place encouraged as the remnant that you will shake heaven and earth, but you will take us into your arms through it all and protect us. Thank you for being our God, Yahweh Sabaoth today. In Jesus' name, amen.